0: I said to them, I looked at them, I said, you know, I designed this place. (laughs) And one of them said to me, no, you didn't. And then I said, yeah, I did. And the other little one came over, put his arms around my legs and said, thank
1: you. Oh, Oh, that's
0: amazing. (laughs) I loved it.
1: Hi. Hello, 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 Hello and welcome to Architecting. Uh,
2: this is a podcast about the lives of architects, about the, the people and the stories behind the buildings and the images that we see. And with this very international world that we live in, this show is, is purposely local and narrow, only focusing on the Colorado community designers. I'm the host, Adam Wagner. Uh, and if, if you've been listening to this show, you can already tell that this episode is a, is a little bit different. We've we've done 23 interviews and in, in total in that whole time uh, we've never had any landscape architects on the show. So uh, now I'm going to rectify that uh, here with this one, and and we're going to have three landscape architects on at once. So today uh, we'll be speaking with with Laura Rains of Dig Studio, Ransom Beagles of R Design Landscape, and Ashley Stevens of Evoke. Um, now, now this is a a select group of of Colorado designers representing uh, a range of of firm sizes from large and medium and small. Um, but one thing they they all share in common is uh, their recent addition uh, into the modern Denver article entitled "In Praise of Place."
1: Um,
2: now, of course, this was a, so. This was a well written article by the talented Vanessa Kaufman. Uh, but you can really only fit so much onto a few pages uh, about the, the depth and the experiences of a of a designer, and what it means to work in a place like Colorado. So, I've invited these uh, three firms on the show to continue this conversation. So this this will have uh, this will be a two part uh, talk. So first, each guest will have the opportunity opportunity to introduce themselves with ten slides in about ten minutes. With the general prompt of, of who are you? How did you get here and, and what excites you now? So, and then after this, we'll come together for a a discussion, uh, to expand on some of the topics brought up by the articles, uh, and by the article and, and just some of the issues of the profession in Colorado in general. So, um, without any more ado, I'm going to turn it over to Laurel, uh, to tell us a bit about herself.
0: All right. Well, I'm starting out with who I am, and I have to confess I stole from a poet named George L. Lyon, and I wrote a poem about who I am. I am from crisp winter nights, tipping barrels of water with my father, freezing our yard into an ice skating rink. I am from wooded Adirondack Heights, trailing behind my mother to identify wildflowers. I am from sisters named after ericaceous plants. Holly, Heather and Laurel. I'm from bird watching with strange people more colorful than the birds. I am from cross country road trips, traversing the entire country's scenery for six weeks, twice. From Finger Lakes country, swimming, sailing and skiing, ears of New York state sweet corn sprinkled with homemade garlic salt. From staying up all night to secure a camping spot at the top of Mount Washington, to ski down death-defying slopes in a bathing suit. I am from Vermont winters so cold your nostrils freeze from the 70s, streaking, drugs, war protests, and environmental causes. From Harvard to study juxtaposition, composition, architecture, and landscape as art. A business partner husband for 35 years, two children now grown. I am from untold pounds of homegrown produce, and buckets of compost, worldwide travel exploring places others have built at all sizes and scales. I am from the desire to do good, to make a difference, to produce beauty, to save the planet, to make lives healthier and happier by designing places for people. Where did I, how did I get here? Well, it was a long journey because I'm, I'm kind of old, but in under, undergraduate school, I started out in zoology. I wanted to be Jane Goodall, but my mother helped steer me towards an ornamental horticulture program where I studied plant and soil science and landscape design. And at graduate school, I studied, as I said before, landscape as art and the idea of conceiving the design of buildings and sites as one conceptual whole. After graduation, I moved to California and eventually made my way to Boulder and started my own firm, the office of Hyatt Rains and Vitech. We we like to think of ourselves as the small fish eaten by the bigger one, EDA, who at the time was the largest landscape architecture firm in the world when we joined them. They had 1500 people. We were swallowed next by AECOM, which at the time of the merger was 46,000 people worldwide. And Dig Studio spurted out of the top as a tiny little goldfish of four people in 2012. We started Dig to have a closer relationship with our clients and our work and have grown it from four to over 30 in Denver and in Phoenix. As HRB um, in the late 80s, There was no work in Denver. We found resort and hotel and residential work, believe it or not, in Arizona, Las Vegas, and Southern California. When we finally broke into the Denver market, they called us the stealth bombers of landscape architecture in Colorado, because no one had ever heard of us. Coors Field was one of our um, exemplary projects and an example of our growing urban design portfolio. We paved the plaza on Wine Coop with old brick cobbles found under layers of asphalt on the site. We designed a miniature baseball diamond filled with engraved bricks people purchased to fund the public art project. And the words of Take Me Out to the Ball Game were playfully engraved in the surrounding band around the ballpark. Amazingly, less than 25 years later, this plaza is already gone. we were brought to markets all over the world. The plaza we designed for a new light rail station in Bloomington, Minnesota is an example of narrative or conceptual story informing a design. The pattern rows of planting harkened to the agricultural patterns surrounding Minneapolis. An arced fountain form cutting through the planted grid was inspired by aerial photos showing natural waterways cutting through farmland. Diagonal paths mark the important bird flyways and the direction to the airport, which is the light rail's end destination. The iconic central sculpture made of large vertical logs with fins of metal and light symbolizes the historic stands of mature hardwoods that once grew near the site and identifies the station clearly for travelers. This place is an example of the power of public to attract development, It was built first and the surrounding development followed. Early on, we followed our clients from Coors Field and we have worked in Stapleton now, now Central Park neighborhood for over 20 years. The vision for the neighborhood included knitting the new into the old by extending Denver's City Beautiful Movement Parkways, connecting neighborhood parks into this brownfield development. Conservatory Green shown here is an exemplary example of public space that welcomes neighbors to play, dine, recreate, celebrate, and be entertained together. In these times of epidemic loneliness and social division, the role we as landscape architects can play in bringing people together is essential to help build trust and understanding instead of conflict. If we started working in Central Park 20 years ago, Denver Parkways like 7th Avenue or Monaco Boulevard reflected the imported European landscape expression of the city's beautiful era with green lawns and imported plantings. At Central Park, we began to morph this landscape aesthetic to be more regionally appropriate one. Westerly Creek Park was one of the first parks in the Denver Park system that was based on the sand-held prairie ecosystem. And Denver Parks had to form a whole new maintenance division to learn how to maintain this natural type of park because they've never seen it before. As this photo of Beeler neighborhood's 59th Avenue shows, this idea was also applied to the parkway system, to the median landscapes. Instead of lawn, the landscape is rough and rugged with local sandstone walls, fallen trees, and swaths of low water use plantings. The meeting is still the neighborhood connector, but in a more ecologically sound and locally appropriate design. What am I passionate about? The possibility of designing open spaces to improve equity and social, physical, and emotional health is one of the most compelling things to me at this point in my career. Shown here is Paco Sanchez Park, which we recently completed, just opened in Second phase in 2020, Paco Sanchez Park was selected by Denver Parks as a place to invest because because the surrounding neighborhood was underserved, low income, and the children had the highest obesity rates in the city. The goal was to design a place to encourage people of all ages to get outside together and get moving. The Colorado Health Foundation provided a grant towards construction that included a study to evaluate the park before and after the improvements. Before the park's renovation, only 3% of park users were observed playing. When we did this study again about a month ago, the crowds were so plentiful that we couldn't even keep track of all the people that were and all the activities they were doing. It's truly been an incredible success. The park's design, as you can see, links a series of play pods with zigzagging paths from the bottom to the top of the hill. Visitors are drawn to climb from play feature to play feature, and in the process, get a healthy workout. During COVID, this was an ideal arrangement, which we hadn't thought about before, because there's so many different places to play, and people do not have to get close to each other to, to interact Providing for people of all ages and abilities was a guiding principle of the design process. And one way we achieved we achieve this was by designing three ways to get into the park. At the very top of the park, a bridge launches from the, from the highest part of the site and lets people of all abilities reach the base of the microphone tower that you can see, and to enjoy an impressive view high at the end, end of the bridge. Again, the forms of the draw, design were driven by a narrative. This time, it was a way to honor Paco Sanchez, the park's namesake. Paco started the city's first Spanish-speaking radio station in 1954 and went on to become an important civic leader. To reflect this contribution to the community, we designed all of the play features to illustrate the theme of broadcasting. The tower shape is based on an old-fashioned microphone, even though everybody calls it the beehive, the railing of the bridge makes musical notes and the frequency climber below the bridge demonstrates the shape of sound waves. A gramophone slide is another option for entering the park. Um, at the bottom of the hill, a plaza for community events, oops, sorry, too far, a plaza for community events was added to the project program in response to the community's desires. Here a colorful community building. Let's people check out play equipment in case they may not have their own. Next to the plaza is the folklorico pod. The design of the swirling shade structure and colorful place features were inspired by the twirling dresses of the folklorico dancers. Another example of using the story to direct the design expression. During COVID, The city of Denver seized upon the idea of creating temporary shared streets to meet the need for people to get outside safely without getting too close. Streets for People are an opportunity to bring us together, combat loneliness, and promote positive interaction and inclusion. There are opportunities for reducing cars, encouraging healthier modes of transportation, and increasing urban greening. At the Square and 21st, we helped the Denver Parks Department and the Downtown Denver Partnership implement a temporary shared street, complete with street art, box trees, a dog park, and programming for silent discos, movie nights, and food festivals. It proved so successful that the one-month trial grew to three. These are serious times for our cities as we face climate change, wildfires, water shortage, shortages, urban heat islands, social inequities, and lack of access to open space. And I'm excited about the prospects of seeing these temporary interventions made permanent and keeping our streets for people. And that's the end of my presentation.
2: Nice. Fantastic. Thank you. And I forgot to mention—I forgot to mention—but we're we're all here live, uh, uh, looking at these uh, slides that Laurel put together. But these slides will also be available um, on Instagram and on the website, so you'll be able to see them see them as well. Really beautiful work, and uh, I really have to thank you because I go to Paco Sanchez Park about once a week with my little kids, and it's it's a lifesaver. It's like the the funnest place in the city. Uh, I love love it there. Um, my
0: favorite, my favorite story about Paco is I was coming down this, the twirling slide in, in the tower, and I got to the bottom, and two little boys came barreling out after me, and one of them, I said to them, I looked at him, I said, you know, I designed this place, <laughs> and one of them said to me, no, you didn't, <laughs> and then I said, yeah, I did, and the other little one came over, put his arms around my legs, and said, thank you.
2: Oh. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. I it. Oh, I mean, it's, I, I've told somebody before that I think it's the, that, that tower is the best piece of architecture in, in Denver. I mean, it's just, it's such, it's such a spatial experience. And I think the thing that I love about it is how kind of unapologetically dangerous it is like yeah. you, you get up so high I'm, I'm always wondering like how, how did they get this through but it's such an experience of being up there so high and and really of of like I, I feel like kids don't get that experience of of danger in some ways like that like exactly. of, you know I had these tall tree houses growing up and fell off of them but all the rest of these playgrounds are so safe. And this, you know, I'm guessing if you fell from very top, you'd bounce down a few times, you wouldn't fall all the way down. But, but, you know, my little four-year-old fell probably seven feet to the ground, six feet. And, you know, he cried, but he got back up. And every time he goes, he says, he tells somebody I fell from there and I'm okay, you know, (laughs) and, uh, but just, just the experience of, 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 of allowing that. And then like you're saying, there's just so many different, um, opportunities and and um really spatial experiences that are are fantastic especially intertwined with that narrative um well
0: i really and i really like to watch the big kids teach the little kids mm -hmm. different ways to get up and it creates that social interaction that i was saying was so important to me i mean that's really gratifying that kids that don't know each other help each other and it's that that's a lot of fun yeah or they also invent types of play there you know there's so many different ways to play they just invent them
2: which is really fun to go watch where yeah it's 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 not a it's not a prescribed play set right Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's the other thing that's so powerful about it that it's really just like i said it's like it's a it's a spatial experience it's it's different spatial types that you can interact with in different ways and um yeah well thanks and and that that was like that was a beautiful poem i want to
0: put that on as
2: like the uh (laughs) <laughs> that'll, that'll be like our header for our website or something but yeah it's...
0: well you know you guys can all do it go to go to um george l lyon's home who am i and and then you can write your own hmm. it's really a fun exercise my son did it in school when he was a kid and i just remembered it when you asked the question i went i'm gonna do that <laughs> oh, nice. that was a lot of fun
2: well thank you all right well let's hear let's hear who ransom is
1: Sure thing. Thanks, Laurel. That was great. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you, Laurel. That was really great. And I experienced a lot of those places, including the plaza in front of course, Field, and um, it was really, really beautiful work. Um, so yeah, to tell my story, I really, I have to tell the story of myself and my business partner, Ryan Manning, uh, because we kind of really grew up in this field together. We sat next to each other all through college in uh, the landscape architecture studio at Colorado State. And right after we graduated, we were really young, we had a chance to start our firm. And um, so a little bit about us, Ryan grew up in upstate New York in the Hudson Valley, which is the picture on the left on a farm, a dairy farm. And he is in a family that's from seven generations of farmers of that area. And I grew up uh, in Durango, Colorado, which is the picture on the right. And one common thread we had is both of the places that we grew up, uh, the land and uh, the environment around us was really important because for Ryan's family, it was their heritage. It was the agriculture and living on the land. And for my childhood, it was it was camping and enjoying the river and going to places like Mesa Verde and seeing the ruins. Um, so, you know, we grew up in totally different parts of the country, but we really hit it off and we were able to start our firm. Um, and when we started it, we had no experience and no portfolio. And the only work we could get was residential gardens because... Mm we would meet with people and when it was a bigger project, they would say, Oh, we really like your story, but you know, you don't have any background, so we can't, you know, take a risk and hire you. But people that had a residential garden thought, yeah, we'd love to give you a chance. Um, And we started at a time where uh, there was a recession going. So there wasn't a lot of money. And what it taught us was how to do a lot with a little. And we had small projects, very tight budgets. So everything we did had to count. And if it was simply just where we placed concrete and lawn, that sometimes was all we could do or afford. So we really learned this um, really detailed and kind of minimalist approach to design. And at that same time, uh, we happened to have a friend who worked at a fisheries habitat company. And they were doing a bunch of projects throughout Colorado and Wyoming where they were taking um, river watersheds and they were enhancing them to restore the ecology, but they didn't really know how to do it very well. And they, but they really wanted to, and they came to us and said, "Could you work with us?" And we really jumped on it because we thought, "What an amazing opportunity!" So we worked on three watersheds in Colorado. And we would wade through the river and inventory all the plant materials, study the patterns of all the vegetation and the wildlife. And we would recreate or help restore bank stabilization, which spawns the ecosystem that creates trout habitat. And We did this through a number of drawings where we would take diagrams, because we had to submit this to the Army Corps of Engineers, um, through the landowners, of course, and through a lot of agencies. And we had to tell them kind of the story about how as cattle grazing happened, the banks became eroded and the vegetation alongside was removed, which caused the whole ecosystem to kind of fall apart. we were trying to restore that. We did that with um, and included trail systems and things so people could actually experience these amazing places. So we have this background of this really wide, broad scale site analysis, and then uh, these small scale gardens. And we kind of really combined those. And so now when we approach projects, we're not just thinking about, you know, what's the cool thing that we can do? We're really thinking about, the big picture and how does this little slice of whatever we're working on fit into a bigger context. And we even take that into the scale of like small gardens and courtyards, where despite the fact that we're only designing, you know, four or 500 square feet, we're thinking about what are the, what's the beauty here and what are the um, amazing elements we can bring out of it. And so, we would you know do things like suggest let's extend the walls as high as we can possibly get them so your eye goes up toward the sky and kind of brings the light down and pick out the plant material that um, rises upward and kind of evokes you know the spirit of what's above you because we have such beautiful skies in Colorado and right now we do um, a lot of collaborations with architects and when we work with architects, we really try to bring that contextual idea to the team. So if we're working on even a single private residence for somebody, uh, we really try to get involved very early and say, how do we position this building and scale it so that it fits within the context of a neighborhood or a site? And then as we're detailing, we go through and we get all of our ideas on paper, and then we kind of have this deductive discussion where we look at it and we say, what, it, what is something that we can take away? What can we take away and still have the strength of our design? And so we're really searching for kind of a purity here, and we try to, um, you know, bring out the most, you know, highest character attribute of the site but then also reverberate the lines of the architecture so that those two blend together. Um, And we do this also on uh, commercial and public scale projects where we really evaluate everything that we're working with and we insert a few moves and we try to do those in really bold ways, but we take away anything that we don't think helps kind of strengthen that indoor-outdoor connection. So um, we do work with a lot of modern architects, but really when we go into a project, both of us have a very um, ego-free approach. We don't really look at things and say, we need this to be a signature project that somebody walks up and says, oh, yeah, that must have been done by our design. And I showed this project because it was a really um, stark contrast to a lot of the refined lines that we do. It was uh, with an architect, Thomas Pfeiffer, out of New York City, and he had designed this home in Boulder on a very, a very steep, site, steep site, and the idea of the home was to take this glass cube and start to push and pull the edges of it, so it kind of melted into the terrain, and when we met with him and we talked about the concept, we said, you know, how much of the architecture do you want to see kind of extended into the landscape? And he said, I've talked with the clients and the ethos of this project is that we don't want any of that. We want this to be about the prairie and we want this to be about the site and the foothills. So we um, really worked very hard on the grading, which was really challenging on a very steep site. And we talked back and forth with the architects and kind of as a team came up with this idea of lowering the garage, which is the core that's in front of the home. So it's down below the view from the home. And then we figured out how we could wrap prairie grass all the way over the garage and conceal it. And we walked around and collected flowers that were perennials and wildflowers from the site and the area and used that as our mixture of plants that we would use on the project. And even the staircases and patios. We found a stone called Siloam. That's a Colorado native stone, but it's not a refined, like a cut buff stone. It's actually a very weathered stone that has a lot of texture and character to it. And so that became the pathway. So now when you walk around the site, this glass piece that you see reflects the site and it really it's amazing. It's kind of like a mirror. Um, so about we started our firm in 2003 and right around 2011 or so, Ryan came to me and said, I I love working with you, but I really, I really want to move back home and I want to be near my family. And so we sat down and we kind of talked and we, you know, just talked like, what's going to happen to our firm? What are you going to do when you go to New York? And He said, you know, I'm not not really sure because where I'm at is outside of New York City and the Hudson Valley. There are not a lot of landscape architecture firms there, and I I really haven't figured that out, but I just want to live closer to my family. And as we talked more, we just kind of came to the conclusion, let's start a firm there. And so we opened an office, and it took us several years to get even a project we would do. Um, theoretical projects on sites and do graphics and show people. And then we finally got a project there and we wanted to carry and bring those same principles that we had established in Colorado to New York, which was about, first and foremost comes the site and the surrounding, and then we do the cleanest version of whatever the program is. So whether it's a pool or it's a Structure like a barn, anything like that, we just try to gently set it into the site. And then we really, really um, honored and wanted to bring the craft of the East Coast into our work. So instead of concrete and steel like we might use in Colorado, we use a lot of field stone and bluestone. And all of our sites have a, all of our projects really have kind of a story to them, which is something I I really love about our work. I feel like we never get just a standard project. We always do something that has a story. And this was the first project we did in New York. And it was um, this amazing site in a town called Red Hook. And you drive up and you're in a completely dark forest. It's almost black as you drive up the driveway all the time. It's full of shadows. You can't see very far. And then you come upon this house and it's like this amazing opening in the forest that's at the top of the hill and it opens up and you have all this sunlight that comes in. And so that's where we positioned the pool and we looked at it and said, all we really need here, we need two walls that kind of create these terraces. And Ryan's excellent at detailing and thought through all the details of how the walls looked and where the pool sat. And we do those same principles in Colorado. Um, this was a home in Boulder where that had been flooded in 2013. And they came to us and said, we wanna redo our landscape, but it has to help mitigate future flooding. So we um, conceived of these two walls and then really let this orchestrate kind of a sequence of spaces outside of the home. And the house was again, uh, kind of this respite from a very dense neighborhood. And opened up and you suddenly have this uh, view to the flat irons and you get all this sky. So we created a reflecting pool to kind of bring that to the ground plane. Um, and then I just want to finish up with two projects that are current collaborations we're working on. And we've done a lot of these smaller projects um, and single family homes, which I love and care about very much. We're trying to take this contextual approach and kind of this minimalist um, intervention into the scale of larger scale projects, planning projects, and infrastructure. And so we ended up winning a design competition with an architect, uh, Rosie Fivian, in Boulder for two underpasses at 30th and Colorado. And These underpasses are basically tunnels that are going to run under the street and they're going to connect the University of Colorado Research Campus with the main campus. And they're typically, you know, fairly dark spaces. They're places where um, it's always shaded. There's usually concrete on all four sides and it can be a very harsh environment. So we wanted to do something that was the opposite of that. And this project wasn't... uh, for the University of Colorado, this was a project for the city of Boulder. So we wanted to celebrate all the diversity of Boulder, the types of people that are there and do something that was kind of um, representative of that. So we came up with an idea of an gamma graph, which is when you take two pictures, you splice them together, and then you kind of put them on, on a series of triangles. So when you see it, you know, when you look from one side, you see a full picture, and then you rotate it and look from the other side, you see a different picture. Mm-hmm. And we thought that could be a really interesting technique. So the walls of concrete are going to be formed with a series of edges that stick out in a triangular manner. And then we're going to paint these murals and they go from a gradient of one color to another. So as you're walking through this space or riding your bike, you'll see this color change indicating you're going to a new place and as you turn and um, enter the University of Colorado Research Campus, this gradient will kind of pixelate and then start to become the colors from the University of Colorado. So it's been a really fun project and a nice way to bring um, some work to the infrastructure. And then the last uh, slide I'll show, this is a project with a young firm A21 very talented architect, Joey. And it's uh, really one of my favorite projects that I've ever worked on. A beautiful site in Jefferson County on Buffalo Creek. And it's right in the middle of some of the most incredible mountain biking in the world. And the people that own the site have a home there. And they said, we want to build a little, very uh, small micro resort destination place for mountain bikers to come and we want to do three cabins that are luxurious and modern but we want them set in this really pristine wilderness so um, we've worked on this project for over a year now and it's been amazing because there's no um the lines between architect landscape architect and owner are blurred and we've we've positioned the buildings with joey He's, he's told us ideas he has for um, plants and trails, systems, and we kind of go back and forth and we've created this uh, really nice intervention that's very quiet so that people that are using the forest won't really even observe that this um, intervention's there. But uh, it also gives it a place for a destination You can do all the kind of luxury things that people love to do and then experience the outdoors. Um so yeah it's kind of hard to tell your story in 10 slides <laughs> but um that's what i've got
2: Nice thank you Uh this is fun you know th- this 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 whole format is, is so different from what i am normally doing and it's nice just to have somebody present and you know try to sum up yourself in, in 10 minutes and and put images to them and and a, and um and unfortunately Ashley's uh, internet connection uh, broke out up, so uh, we, we're not going to get to talk to her probably today. But this whole idea really came about from from Modern in Denver and from the the article which you guys are in. Um, and it seemed it seemed like ransom it, that was sort of a little bit of your brainchild. This this article, and so I'm just interested, kind of what what was the idea behind it and how, and how it kind of came together.
1: Yeah. So, um, first of all, I love landscape architecture. Mm -hmm. I just love it. It's a job I would do no matter how much money I had. Um, And when I, you know, think of somebody like Laurel or Ashley, or some of the people that I recommended, I think of them as colleagues, not competitors. Um, And I love hearing their stories and seeing how they approach things. I think that's just so healthy And just an observation since we started our firm, um, I've seen this amazing growth of landscape architecture in Colorado. There is a huge abundance of designers here, but there's also kind of this social understanding of what our job is as a landscape architect. That it used to be, you know, if you could afford it, you'd hire a landscape architect to decorate something nice around your building or your home. And now it's become this different role where people's values are so um, contingent upon the outdoors, the land that we live in, um, not just for enjoyment, but also people really care about that you know, as an ethical thing. And so landscape architects have a really amazing chance because it's such a fast growing state. So much is happening that I um, talked with William from Modern in Denver about it and just said, I think this is a great time to highlight some of the people that are doing these amazing projects here. We're at a catalytic point in uh, the growth of Colorado, where I think it's really important that that we get the stories out there that these um, firms are working on. And so that was kind of where it came about. And Laurel and I have emailed back and forth over the years, but haven't really conversed. And um, she, she has you know, such great knowledge, I thought she'd be a great fit as well as you know Ashley and all the others that were recommended for it
2: yeah Laura what do you think about that so when when did you move here to Colorado I moved
0: here in 1986 so it's funny when um when Vanessa was first suggesting that landscape architecture was just starting here I was like Uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) It's changing and it's certainly attracting a lot of new players, but there's been a lot of us, you know, like Civitas has been here for even longer than Mm. me. And, you know, it's that we've been here. It's just that I think one of the hard parts to get recognized and it it was so nice to see your beautiful work. um, But one of the hard things for our state to get recognized is that, you know, we're not working in an environment like New York. We're not extracting Mm. from these beautiful forests and like or California where I worked extracting these lush vegetation where everything mm-hmm. we do is practically additive unless you're up in the mountains and you have that you know that opportunity but on mm-hmm. um, down here in the plains we're in a high plains desert and getting things to look good is a very different aesthetic and that's what happened when we worked out at um, Central Park Stapleton was that aesthetic was that new aesthetic was really hard to get people to, to like. When we, when we first started doing it, people were literally going out and throwing grass seed, bluegrass mm. seed, in the Native Meadow area, hoping that they could get lawn. <laughs> but luckily, we, we're all learning, and we're all getting to understand that that kind of contrast
1: is really beautiful. But
0: I, I do think it makes it hard for us to get recognized nationally, you know, because our work looks different.
1: It does look different. It seems we've... Um submitted for awards before and when you submit for an award there's a jury from another state and i've had architects or others tell me like well make sure you make it make sure it looks like colorado and you know that's kind of a hard thing to do because colorado has a lot of different looks to it and to laurel's point when you're down in the front range in denver it's a, it's a prairie it's a desert prairie and it's much different looking than aspen or the western slope And it's, it sets people have expectations of Colorado that, um, you know, it's part of our job is to inspire that maybe your expectations are a little different, but there's still a lot of beauty out there. So have you seen that, that you said you really have seen that,
2: that, that kind of approach change or people's, um, ideas of, of local change where, you know, the article was talking about the city beautiful movement, of course, and you were kind of bringing that up of, of the kind of lineage of that and its effect. It seems like it ha- had an effect on Denver, you know, 100 years ago in the kind of setup of the city. Um, but then has that really been changing? And like you're
0: I told Vanessa that when I spoke to her, I said that, you know, when I, when I went to grad school, I Had the luxury of driving across the country again and with another classmate, because I did a um, summer program at the SWA group in California. And I observed the fact that this Olmstedian, picturesque, English landscape had been transported to every city across the country. That same aesthetic was, and it's to a great degree, it's due to the Olmsted. Brothers And them being brought into to every, it's one reason I hate it when outside people are brought into Colorado, but it's okay. <laughs> but, um, it's, you know, it's, they were brought into every city to help design their parks departments, to help design their parkways, which become part of their park systems. And so that, that aesthetic was, it would, did not reflect the um, environment where it was done. And so at that time, I got really interested in that and actually was going to write an article, or not an article, but a paper about it. But my friend who I was traveling with got to it first. So it was kind of disappointing. (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, I have watched it change. I mean, I lived on 7th Avenue Parkway and that is a real classic sort of um, city, beautiful parkway. I've recently done some talks about... um, our, our historic parks, we did one out at Cheeseman. We're doing one at um, at uh, Washington Park next week. Those places were designed with, with an aesthetic from that era. But if you go out to someplace like um, Central Park neighborhood, the parks aren't like that anymore. It's really changed. And we're working on a park right now up in Northern Denver. where It's actually 82 acres that have been land that has been carved out, still available. And it is going to be um, 12 acres of water quality, it's going to be, an, an, a, it has a pond on it, it's called um, Heron Pond Carbios Par- and Guedi-, Guedi Park, and it has a pond on it that it is capping a, a really contaminated um, landfill environment or a, a contaminated site environment. It's going to have recreation added that has never been there. But the aesthetic is all going to be of Colorado, and we've submitted that for award. We got an award here in Colorado, but getting one nationally? Impossible. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get it. and We got a presidential award here, but we couldn't get one, um, the national, even though it's such a cool project. It's not one that I'm leading. Um, Gretchen Wilson, my partner, is. But anyway, um, I do see it changing. It has changed a lot in the years that I have been here. in Ransom, I'm sure you've seen it too. I don't know how long you've been here, but um, it's changed a lot
1: yeah I, I think it has and I, I don't know how you've the interaction you've been with your clients but I've noticed in the past I don't know 10 or 12 years that we have we used to have to um, try to sell the beauty of the prairie sell the beauty <laughs> of the native landscape here and now we have clients who have come to us and say I, I am great that's why I'm here I understand that like that dry winter grass look. I'm okay with that. And that is a huge transition because a lot of times we had clients who came from the Midwest and said, what I'm expecting is to do my maple and my bluegrass lawn. And that that's a beautiful landscape to me. And now I think people are just seeing, you know, there is some beauty. There's a tremendous amount of beauty in what, you know, the native landscape that we have here. And then as you go to the mountains, it sells itself pretty easily. Another idea that was kind of brought up
2: in the article was this idea of of timelessness within landscape architecture. And what what do you, what does that mean to both of you kind of in your work?
0: Well, it's interesting because I've seen eras, I've been doing this long enough that I've seen eras that are not particularly timeless. (laughs) Like when I started, it was in the 80s. So it was like um, Pomo, you know, and everything with postmodern and the, the, the a lot of the landscape we were doing reflected those times. And and I see change, you know, that that is not what is in or what people are interested in any longer. People are interested in things like Ransom's doing, cleaner, simpler lines, which also reflects, um, hopefully, using less materials, being more ecological, um, easier maintenance. There's a lot of advantages to doing that that I think people have recognized. So, but I do think that what's so interesting about what we do is it changes over time. We have to design with the idea that it's not going to be static. Um, it's it, matter of fact when we did Westerly Creek, the whole drainage way that runs through the creek was designed. It was designed so that it could it could um, change and move with floodwaters over time, just like a native Creek would. And there's there's reinforcement of ways out from the Creek Channel, but the channel itself can change change dramatically over time with the, with the flows. And so, or we design with trees that are going to grow. They're like, there's a lot of landscapes that when we first put them in, you look and go, mm, those trees are so small, but you've got to design it with the idea that the tree's going to be big. And I think that timelessness is, really exciting and also makes it very hard to do what we do it takes i think it's some. in some ways it's hard to be a good landscape architect than it is to be
2: a good architect yeah i don't agree no that's interesting because i I, I, i've never thought about that before where where you you design a building and it's it's pretty much what it is right through through time Mm -hmm. i mean things might age or change but but the idea that you have to be patient in the you, you have a vision, but you have to be patient to wait for those trees to grow, or the things to change, or um, in, in embracing that change is yeah an interesting idea.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head, Laurel. I have always, I've never been real comfortable with the term sustainable. It seems to indicate that well, by definition, it means to stay the same, and I feel like you know. For us as landscape architects, we for sure have to use the term adaptable. And that is because you look around us and everything is evolving and changing all the time. And even in the most controlled landscapes, like if we do a perfect alley of trees, for example, they might look like that day one, but they're never going to look that way after that. I mean, even with all the maintenance in the world. And so we have to be thinking about our landscapes as rather than fight the fact that they're going to change embrace that and kind of work with it and that's something that we are trying to explore more as we think about things like planning and you know do things have to be so static I think timelessness for a long time meant well crafted and this powerful statement but now I think it's more about something that can evolve and acknowledges the fact that it's it's going to happen
2: what uh i'm interested you know i i had i had these three you the three companies on here in a in an idea of sort of size uh and it's it, uh, of 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 dig studio being the largest and and ransom i think you're about five or six people and then evoke was two um but it's interesting laurel hearing your story of of being that small fish that got eaten by what seemed like a big fish and then got eaten by a a blue whale and then, and then spit out. And then, and then you're growing, growing up yourself again. I'm, I'm just interested about, um, sort of like that, that journey and then, then how it's been now being successful and, and growing, uh, but always having that sort of before in your mind of the, the huge fish, you know. Uh, what's that stupid <laughs> like?
0: Well, you know, it's funny because when we started Hyatt Rains Vitek, it was three of us. We had one desk. <laughs> we had zero computers.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> we
0: you did. Shared, it
2: you Shared one chair um, and one desk. Yeah. And yeah, and story. we
0: and we worked. <laughs> we worked for two years, and after we figured out what we paid ourselves, we figured it was about two dollars an hour. <laughs> yes. But in the, after about a year and a half or two, like you were saying, we couldn't find work anywhere, right? After about a year and a half or two, we grew a 1,000% in one year. That was 1989, we grew 1,000%. So, And then we grew that firm up to 25 people, which was a very nice size. But what ended up happening when you get to that size is that there's a lot of things you have to pull in place. You've got to... Um, you know, you got to create all the systems and all the business things. It becomes so much more of a business aspect to it. And there are a lot of things that we um, couldn't get to because we were so busy with projects. So EDOC came along and they said, what will you, you open our Denver office for us? Because we were in Boulder and they had a small office in Denver. And they said, would you come down to Denver and open our Denver office? And so there was a lot of advantage of joining EDOC because they had an international um, presence. We ended up doing work in China, in Abu Dhabi, all over the world um, with them, and it it really didn't change the way we worked, but it gave us a lot of advantages to access the things that a bigger company would have, and we really enjoyed that. And then EDA got to a point where they were approached by ecom and Acom at that time was at a big point of um, of buying up other firms. I mean they. They bought architectural firms at that time, civil firms, us. And I think the management at that time felt like we could influence ACOM. We could bring this, this, this um, our culture into ACOM and influence ACOM. In reality, it was too yeah. big. It was, it was just too big. And some people have stayed, but very few. And what we found that was so difficult was the layers, you know, the layers of decision making, the layers of um every dis everything you did was not as direct as working with your clients. And that was what was so tough about it. And it's not like that we don't like ACOM. Actually, we still work with ACOM to this day, all the time, very often, and we we enjoy the people over there a lot, but we really wanted to get back to having that direct contact with our clients to be um You know, as principals working on design every day, not just working on all the other stuff up here, you know, so that really has worked out. Um, We grew our office in Phoenix for a personal reason for one of our original founding partners. We we opened that. And it's funny because a lot of the people we've added over time are all people from EDA. Mm. A lot of them are from EDA. I think we have 11 or 12 EDA people Mm. in our firm now. So people who remember that culture, love that culture, and have come back together with us to do it again. So I don't know if I answered your question, but it's been an interesting journey. And the other thing that's been interesting about it is that my husband has been my partner my entire time, both in work and in life. And that's pretty unusual. Yeah. (laughs) We've managed to stay married.
2: (laughs) That's a good stretch. I'm I'm also married to an architect, so I need I need to get some advice after this. Uh, Okay, I I have a really good
0: one liner that will help you a lot. Yeah, well,
2: here, share it for everyone. Yeah.
0: Well, what we learned very early on was when you ask a question. Preface it with "I want an answer as a business partner" or "I want an
2: answer as a spouse." Oh, nice! I already see that 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 stopping so many arguments right there. That, <laughs> this whole podcast. Was because you want a work. totally
0: different answer because it's as a spouse. <laughs> it's that's different.
2: That's awesome. So, so then ransom. So, is, is that you're about like six people right now, or?
1: Yeah, there's we have four of us in Denver. Um, really amazing people. That we've had to work with, and you know, people that like love landscape architecture as much as I do, which is really great. So there's uh, four in Denver and two in New York right now. So it's still a very small firm. But
0: when did you start Ransom? I keep wanting to know that because my mind wants to just remember when it when it was. Two
1: thousand three.
0: Okay, but you went to school here earlier than that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I went to CSU. Started there in 1998, and um, yeah. Our first project was on national television. What was that? Home and Garden Television. We did a residence, and we won a competition for a home in Fort Collins on a show called Landscapers Challenge. Hmm. And (laughs) everybody thought we were going to be rich. Yeah. We were were not. Take off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> that is so great.
1: Yeah.
2: And so, what's that? What's that work process been like? Uh, working in, in in two different time zones and and you know, I guess you had the benefit of working together in the beginning, but yeah. now now, how does that kind of division of labor or or kind of different markets work together?
1: You know, that's a really interesting question. Um, we do we do a lot of projects. We are a small firm. We still do a lot of residential collaborations. So, I mean, at the moment, we have probably 70 projects that Mm. we're working on. And I tell our employees when they start working with us that you may not work on a project, but you're still part of it. And I may not work on this project very much, but you're still part of it. And what I mean by that is like, Every project is a stepping stone for the next one. This one, we may not learn a detail from that inspires something that we do on this, this next project. And so Ryan essentially runs the projects in New York and I run the projects in Colorado. But we check in a lot and we share things. We go back and forth and we influence each other. He'll try a detail there and send it to me and say, look how we solved this. And I'll show it to one of my employees in Colorado, they'll modify it a little bit, and try it here. And so it's like this ongoing evolution that builds and builds the practice. So, you know, we're not talking every day, we're not sharing the work from employee to employee every day, but we certainly are at a high level doing that. And um, we know each other like brothers, so, we really trust each other's instincts. And so when Ryan takes on something challenging, he'll call me if he needs me, but a lot of times I just you know, I'll say, do what you think is right. I trust you. And he says the same to me. So that's kind of how we've been dividing it. I wish we did work a little more together, but um, you get busy and you're trying to just keep things afloat in each place. But we do we do connect, we do check in, we do make sure our value systems are aligning and and as we're developing and growing the firm, we're, we're always pushing each other and challenging each other. So that's kind of how it's worked across the globe, I guess, or across the country rather.
2: Yeah. Is, Is that the goal to continue to grow or is it, is it, is this the kind of good number?
1: I think our ideal goal we've always talked about is having two small studios that if we were given the right project, we could team up and combine hmm. to take on something really large. But kind of like Laurel said, we we love the design part of it. I love meeting the clients. I love working on the projects um, and, and doing all of the parts of it. And I then I don't really want to let that go and just become kind of managing all the time. And Ryan's the same way. He's very interactive and he's very hands-on. And so... You know, our our goal is to have maybe two studios of four or five in each place and kind of continue to work on smaller things. But then when the opportunity arises to get something bigger, we'd love to have the power to do that as well. Yeah, nice.
0: I'd say the tipping point is 12. Yeah, answers.
2: okay.
0: <laughs> Don't go above 12 because then you have to go to 25.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, Sorry. I was
2: going to say you passed <laughs> it a while ago, Zoro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then, then once you go to 25, you have to get a uh, 35 and uh, yeah. 46,000. No, it Because it's kind
0: of mm-hmm. scale at a certain yeah. point, but that in between is a really hard size to be.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I love, um, you know, I really just started this podcast just because I like, like you were saying, Ransom, like you, you, you've, you've talked with Laurel before a little bit, but never met. And I just, I love, uh, connecting with people and just hearing, hearing stories and connecting other people. And, um, and, you know, as an architect, it's just mostly been architects, but, but I, I'm definitely trying to kind of expand out and, and get this more, a, a fuller understanding of the design community within Colorado. Um, so what, what would you say, w- what is your idea of community within Colorado, sort of, um, for each of you, of who, who you interact with or, or how you engage the design community?
0: That's an interesting one. Well, we're, we're, our office is involved in UI. Hmm. Our office is involved in Downtown Dover Partnership, you know, because we do a lot of urban work. Um, and we're involved in ASLA. We're involved in AIA. I mean, I've done talks at AIA conferences before and things like that. Um, but it, you know, it's interesting because Ransom, the work that you're doing with architects is really beautiful. And I, when I was in grad school, I was lucky enough to do a joint studio and worked one on a project, my thesis project, with an architecture student and me, and produced an incredible project that came completely from site and, and um, architecture working together. And that experience I don't get to do all the time, unless it's a residential project. And it's one reason I love residential projects because they're at a scale still where you, the, you can work with an architect and um, work really closely. I mean, the bigger project we try to do it as, as much, but usually the architect has developed the concept. They've, they bring you in a little bit later in the process. It's not the same thing of conceiving it from ground up together. And so I do really miss that and wish – that's why I like this conversation we're having with you, Adam, because I wish architects understood that more, the power of that and how well that works. But I don't think they always understand – even <laughs> though I love them dearly <laughs> – they don't always understand what we do or what we can yeah. bring to the table. And it's one of the reasons I love to do projects where it's – because strictly right. sites, you know, like parks and
2: um, open spaces and public plazas and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and it's funny because you know we're we're working on a project together right now, Laurel, sort of. And but it's such mm-hmm. a small scope for you guys, where it's just a, the sidewalk on the corner, and you know, but there is a lot of potential there, even even with that that, that miniature uh, scope. But
0: and right. And to say this, too, on top of that, no matter what the scale is, no matter what the project is, like Ransom said, we always try to bring the best to the project mm-hmm. that can be had. The, the, the best concept, the, you know, the best materiality to make the biggest bang for the buck for the client's money, whatever it might be. But we never treat a project like yeah. it's just, eh, you know, mm-hmm. just don't do that. It's not how we work, so it doesn't matter. And and we also always try to understand the architecture really well because we, we feel like we have um, a real sense of that. And even in a small project like yours, as far as our scope, um, the the biggest contribution I feel like we often make is the interaction with architecture mm-hmm. and grade. Mm-hmm. because we are so sensitive about grading and how grading becomes part of the design and shouldn't shouldn't be a leftover mm-hmm. piece. Like I was just, I'm just working on a project with another um, architecture firm right now. And we pointed out to them that the front door was five feet above the adjacent <laughs> curb. <laughs> just, you know, and I, this, the engineer was sort of presenting this. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, greeting is a wonderful tool and I find a, a very artful tool and I love it. And any project we could bring that to um, no matter what it is.
2: Yeah, and I think you know, Ransom is. Uh, I'm I'm really pretty jealous of you. I mean, of just of being able to engage with these architects, you know, especially like Thomas Pfeiffer and like Flato and and Joey, like you're talking about, and Studio B, whose office you're in right now, and you're working with my wife at Gensler on a project, and um, but yeah, that that community in itself has to be pretty interesting of, of plugging in with different designers, and
1: um, yeah. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it, like one of the things I love about residential projects is all the clients are different, but man, all the architects are different too. And they're quirky. They have different things they care about, but they're all, they they become friends. I spend a lot of time having discussions like this with architects outside of work. And I just, I love hearing the way people see the world, I just think it's really fascinating. Um, and, and I feel really lucky to, you know, some weeks I'm in seven or eight different architecture offices and experiencing different cultures. Um, and I try to bring that like in my personal life, I, I love DJs. I once in a while DJ for fun and try to reach away from architecture, landscape architecture. And into art and music and those kinds of things for inspiration and dialogue. Just you know, you you'd be amazed at the lessons you can learn from like a really good chef about design. And, and I really enjoy that kind of discussion too. And it kind of also gets you out of this. Here's what I do, and here's what this person does. Kind of blurs those lines, which is really great. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you know, what that's
0: prompted me to think. Chris? And the other thing is that we work a lot with engineers. And I and you do what we do, and yeah. that collaborative yes. process has become more and more and more interesting over time because of the the things we're trying to do with water quality, with stormwater management, with and all the innovation that's trying to happen to help solve some of our problems in our urban CIF settings. So that's another whole group that we tap for ideas, and they tap yeah. us for ideas, and so absolutely. Yeah. And we, we've, had, we've had a chance, especially in our Phoenix office, to work with some really fun architects too. Although we've here up here too, but Lake Flato and um, we're doing a cool project down there with them for the, the um, Scottsdale Civic Center is being redone. And we're, hmm. Flato's on our team, and we're doing a couple other projects with them too, which is fun. But yeah, I love that cross pollination. Yeah. It's, you know, Adam, we're, we hadn't worked nice. with you guys before. So I hadn't. My office head, but I hadn't. And it's it's just fun to meet different people and have that cross pollination. And often I, I find myself um, sort of educating people on what we can bring to the table, and that that's a really fun process too. Because I can, I'm kind of a natural
2: educator, so I like to do that. Right. It's such a diverse profession that you're yes. in uh, uh, of, of scales and of of kind of program and yeah i think under under understood by the public yes right? oh, yeah uh, i mean
0: all the years i've done it it's still yeah. never understood no yeah no.
2: Yeah, you just pick trees, right? Yeah, exactly. Because you just you do
0: shrubs. Yeah. They'll say, "Do you guys net that stuff?" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Do
1: what are you do, what do. <laughs> what are you do in the wintertime? That's what I get. What do you do in the wintertime? Yeah. Oh yeah,
0: what do you do in the winter time? Oh yeah, you get that
2: all the time. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, thanks, guys. I appreciate you you coming on, and this this has been fun. Unfortunately, you know, we l- lost out with, with Ashley, but uh, darn. Hopefully, we'll be able to do it again and. Um, I think I'm going to try to have a, have a big, big party at the end of the summer with, with all the people on the show and, and, and others in the design community, a big barbecue or something. So, uh, I want to see, see you there and see you in person. So thanks for coming. Yeah. On. I look forward to
0: listening to some of your other ones too. Now that
1: I know. Yeah. Thanks very much for doing this, Adam. This is great. Yeah. Thanks guys. Okay.
2: So our goal at Architecting is to help connect Colorado designers and nobody is already doing this better than Modern in Denver. For over a decade, Modern in Denver has been striving to bring architects together and to educate the public about what good design can be and can accomplish. I'm very excited to be working together with them now on this shared goal. So over the years, they have constantly created fantastically curated stories about Colorado designers and projects and work to connect the profession with live local events. So go out now, buy a copy of their new print issue, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's show.
1: You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest
0: And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. What what do you call it again? What is the name?
2: Uh, Architecting.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really funny because a friend of mine coined a word called archagocking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: he coined it because we all, you know, us collectively, always travel and go places
2: to (laughs) jog at
0: architecture, right?
1: That's awesome. Right?
0: I think it's a great term. But I've used it many times and people don't always get it, but I kind of like to coin that.
1: Oh I, uh,
2: <laughs> right away, yeah, yeah that's nice, like, especially when you're married to a designer, right? Yes. Like, that's all,
1: you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yes
0: Our poor children, we've, we've yeah. taken them everywhere, <laughs> <out there?
1: laughs> and but you have no pictures up there, right? <laughs> you just have pictures of architecture yeah. and landscape architecture, yeah. Hey, guys, could you move for a second? I need to take a picture of this detail,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's funny. Well. What were what were some of the biggest takeaways that you you got from, from grad school and, and like who who was kind of influencing you there when you were there, Laura? Well, I was really lucky that the, the chair of the
0: department when I started was Peter Walker, mm-hmm. who is you know a star architect when it comes to landscape architecture, yeah, yeah. and he um, he he was the one that it was really interesting when I went to school. Um, it was right after Ian McCarg had written his book, Design with Nature. And that was in the seventies and everything had gone environmental, ecological, you know, everything. There was very little design going on in landscape architecture. It was all site analysis and all that sort of stuff. And Pete Walker was really, really interested in landscape as art. He was really interested in like Sarah as an architect, I mean, as an artist and his work is how, in you know, site work as art. And he was really interested in the historic gardens of Lenotra and interpreting that in a modern way. He was really interested in Dan Kiley and Kiley's Kylie and mm-hmm. work. So he 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 was changing the focus of design at Harvard. And the other thing that we did when we were there was really fabulous, which I could tell in your work. Two is that we our first studio was architecture and landscape architecture together. So we learned a lot about architecture and the principles of architecture and how then they applied to landscape as well as to architecture. And um, matter of fact, we designed a house. We, we used precedent to wow. an architect to design a house by, you know, we did all that. So that was really, really powerful. Then the, after Pete left, Lori Olin came in, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talk about another yeah, architect. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Lori was leading the program. Yeah. And my last year, I really wanted to do a joint studio because I was so interested in the overlap between architecture and landscape architecture. And I asked Lori if he could do one, and he said, he told me no. And I thought it, thought it, funny, but he said no. But in the very last minute, over break, between, um, between fall and spring, Michael McKinnell, who's another star. Hmm. <laughs> Michael McKinnell was the f- most favorite architecture professor at the university at that time, at GSD at the time. He realized that everybody was doing urban studios. So he said, Ah, oh, I want to do a suburban studio. So we can do that joint studio with you, Lori. Nice. So we've got to do a joint studio. And it was fabulous. So not only did I have Lori as a professor, but I had Michael McKinnon as a professor. Huh. And it was it was awesome. It was really
2: really awesome. I learned a lot. Were, were you integrated in in at the GSD in, in the trays there? Like were were you working next to the architecture students or no? Did they no, kind of segregated. Oh, no, no. Yeah, um, they get.
0: We had our own tray. They were in the trays below us, mm. and then urban design was up on the upper tray above us. Hmm. So yeah, we were definitely separated. But but I worked with this one student. He and I designed the entire project together. It was a corporate headquarters. On a um, Olmsted estate in Western Massachusetts, so like I was saying, Ransom, that idea of carving out of woods,
1: you know, yeah, that yeah, yeah.
0: Olmsted had created these spaces that were very defined by the woods and open meadows, you know, like Central Park is. And yeah. we we put our our to be sensitive, we put our corporate headquarters in the woods that you just discovered by coming around and, and coming from a different direction and mm-hmm. finding it. And it was completely integrated. It was a really cool project. <laughs> Too bad we couldn't have built it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I learned a lot from that. It was a neat time to go to school.
1: Yeah, I
2: bet. Yeah, I mean, just that would have been incredible. Just that environment of Cambridge is is magnetic. It seems like. But, yeah, yeah,
0: you know. it, it was neat. It was neat. But then I always used to say it, took, it takes you two years to get over going to graduate school there because mm-hmm. it was so brutal. Yeah. You know, yeah. you had to come back to reality and get out of like this.
2: <laughs> yeah it's hard to figure out how to be a real person again Yeah,
0: exactly yeah. how to be for a sure. real person absolutely it was brutal
2: so that's what California was you, you, Yeah, I, be a real I person in California
0: worked with, with Pete Walker oh, yeah. right huh. and I did things like des- design a master plan for Disney World with him and um, down in uh, Orlando until he got us fired because he was such a feisty guy <laughs> <Yeah>. that's fine. <funny. laughs> And so, yeah, I worked for SWA group for a couple of years. It was a great, it was a great um, studio or office to work for. They had a wonderful aesthetic and still love that place. And then came to Colorado because my husband wanted to come. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but it's, I love, I belong to Colorado. I didn't ever think I would stay. I always thought I'd go back East.
2: Yeah. And how many more, how many years later I'm still here? He grabs you. What, what was that program like at, at Colorado State, Ransom? Um.
1: I, I really, it, <clears throat> she's never really loved it. Um, it's very small, and it's like tucked under, the, the, it's in the wrong program. I mean, it's like in the Agricultural Sciences Department, in the Horticulture Department, under the Horticulture Department is Landscape Architecture. Huh. And it's kind of like Why are we here? So you really were planting the trees then, huh? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was a very much an option, very much. Um, But all the the department head was named Merlin Paulson, and he came from Harvard. And he was very adamant that he was going to try to mold the curriculum that we had toward, you know, something like what you would experience at Harvard. Um, they pushed us it was super competitive I mean just really really driven but it was amazing because we had one summer where we went to Europe for a month and a half and drove all over the gardens of Italy France and some in Switzerland and one of our professors knew all these he'd done it for 15 years so he knew where to go it took us to all these places knew where to take the killer picture and we sketched and drew and um it was it was just awesome because it was very much a self-motivated program like they kind of gave you the project and then you either sank or swam and i was around classmates that were a lot of them were from smaller towns and kind of grew up with like a farming work ethic and worked really really hard and so everybody just pushed each other and it was really, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't at Harvard or anything like that, but it was really good for the experience I had there. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Was Brad there when you were there?
1: Brad was there. Yep. He's great.
0: Yeah. He, he worked for us. Yeah, that's right.
1: He did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who is that? Brad who? Brad Getz. Brad Getz. Uh, also from art, went to Harvard and then he worked with mm-hmm. them, I think a lot of them had,
0: course field
1: project,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was with us
2: when we were at Edo. HR EDOM, EDOM. yeah. yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, let's see. Was there anything else we missed? Any Anything else you wanted to get off your chest or talk about? Or... Yeah. I, think it was, I think it was pretty <laughs> good.
0: Well, I wonder if what's happening to you is, what, is what's happening to us. The droves of new firms that are coming here. Yeah, yeah. Are you seeing that, Adam, with architecture too?
2: Yeah, I think so. Do you mean like firms from outside coming in? Yeah. Yes. Mm Who are
0: opening offices. And I hear about it like a new one every day. Mm -hmm. I just heard about, I I had a student from last semester at um, UCD that I really connected with Mm -hmm. and I'd given a lot of advice to, and he just wrote me to tell me he got a job. And it was with a a firm from Nashville Mm -hmm. that just opened an office, in a landscape architecture office Mm -hmm. in Denver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just keep hearing about yeah. it. Like, holy cow! You know, eh. you
2: know. I know.
0: We have less competition already. You bad.
2: know, I can't. I can't be too. I can't say too much. I've only been here five years. You know. So, but I feel like I was. out right. was right at the end of the the acceptable wave, and now nobody else can come. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was right before the cutoff. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, but I, it's, it's it's just so surprising. I mean, when I started this, some people asked me, "Well." you're going to run out of Colorado architects pretty fast. And I said, I, I have a list of, of 70 people that I'm working through right now. And there's, and that's just like one person per firm, you know, like um you, there, there's a, there's a huge amount of designers, like you're saying, and, and, and people doing great things. And um yeah. So. Yeah. It's a
0: really, it's really fun. Like one thing that we're involved in was downtown Denver partnership and that that has a lot of people that are different architectural firms and also people that are involved in the real estate industry and, um, development industry, you know? So that's really cool to overlap with too. I mean, you could, you, you'll never run yeah, out yeah, of leadership. Exactly. interview. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, well, cool guys. Well, thanks for taking this time and and coming on and,
0: yeah, and tell Ashley we're sorry. Yeah. I was looking forward to hearing about her work because it looks really,
1: really yeah. cool. I know. That's too bad.